0: Welcome to Bible Breath, where we dig into the Word of God to catch our breath for whatever's coming next. Today we're talking about a very special gift and a very powerful gift that God gives us to use throughout our lives. It's a gift that we we see put into practice in the story that I'm about to share with you. True story. A missionary was talking to the congregation in which he grew up in the state of Michigan, telling them about his recent missionary trips. He said this. He said, While serving at a small field hospital in Africa, I traveled every two weeks through the jungle to a nearby city for supplies. And on one of these trips, I saw two men fighting in the city. One was seriously hurt, so I treated him and witnessed to him about Jesus, and then I returned home. Upon arriving in the city, he went on, several weeks later, I was approached by the man that I had treated earlier. He told me that he knew that I had carried money and medicine with me. And he said, you know, some friends and I followed you into the jungle that day knowing you would camp overnight. We waited for you to go to sleep so that we could kill you and take your money and take your drugs. And just as we were about to move into your campsite, he said, we saw that you were surrounded by 26 armed men the missionary laughed as he was telling this story and he said, he said, I was certainly all alone out there in the jungle. There was no one else there with me. But, uh, but he said, the man that was talking with him, he said, he said, no, no, sir, he insisted. He said, I, and I wasn't the only one to see the guards. My five friends also saw them and we all counted them. It was because of those guards that we were afraid and we left you alone. And so at this point in the, of the church presentation in, in Michigan, one of the men in the church stood up and he interrupted the missionary. He asked, can you tell me the exact date when this happened? The missionary thought about it for a moment and then was able to figure out and he told him the exact date and the man in the congregation said, you know, when you were in Africa that night, I was here at the church. I was preparing to play golf earlier that day, but then I had a strong feeling that I should pray for you and pray for your work. And it was such a strong desire that I even called various men from the church and asked them to join me and to pray for you as well. And at that point, the man who said that he had prayed asked each man who also prayed for the missionary to stand up. And they all stood up and they counted them. How many men do you think it was? It was 26. 26 men stood up. James chapter 5 says, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Today we're going to talk about that. We're gonna talk about the gift of prayer. We'll talk about what it is, what it means, and then how to do it. Those three things as we discuss the gift of prayer. First of all, what it is. To illustrate what prayer is, I wanna take you back into the Old Testament to Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is a mountain that it still exists. You can go and visit it today. And Mount Carmel is the mountain on which the prophet Elijah had a showdown with the prophets of Baal. Baal was a false god and Elijah, Felt like he was all by himself, but it was it was one against 450. That's that's what it was. They decided to have a showdown to see whose God was the real God. And the way that it would work was this: they were going to go up to the top of Mount Carmel, and Elijah suggested that they that they each build an altar, and then they each put a sacrifice on that altar. And then sacrifices typically needed to be burnt up, but instead of bringing a source of fire with them, they would each pray to their God and whichever God answered by sending fire down from heaven to start the offering on fire, that would be the true God. And so the prophets of Baal thought, okay, that sounds good, we'll give it a shot. So they went up to Mount Carmel and Elijah politely told the prophets of Baal that they could go first. And so they did, they start putting together their altar, they got it all ready, they put the animal there and then they prayed, dear Baal, the name of their God. Please send fire down from heaven so that Elijah will know that you are the true God. Nothing. So they try it again. Dear Baal, because we believe you are the true God and we know you are the true God, please send fire down from heaven so that Elijah also knows that you are the true God. Nothing. Nothing. And they kept trying, and they kept trying, and they kept trying. And then Elijah started to tease them a little bit. He said, maybe you maybe you need to pray more loudly. Maybe he's sleeping and you just need to wake him up. Maybe he's out on vacation or doing some hobby or something like that. And so they, they, they ramped it up. They even started like like slicing themselves so that hopefully their God would feel sorry for them and answer the prayers. But it went on and on and on like this, but no matter what they did, there was there was no answer. Nothing ever happened, no fire ever came down. And Elijah finally said, okay, you guys take a break. Why don't you give, give me a chance." And so Elijah builds his own altar and they gather stones, they put them all together. And then he asks for help. He asks them to, to dig a, a trench around the altar. And then and then he asks for help carrying buckets of water. And once they get the animal on top of the altar, the one that's supposed to be set on fire, he asks them to douse it with water so that it's very unlikely that this thing is even going to catch on fire if there is a fire. So he douses it with water and so much water that the trench that they dug around filled up with water. So every so he was stacking the odds against him, basically. But they get done with all of that. and And Elijah prays. Basically, God, so that everyone here will know that you are the true God. Please send fire down. Fire Fire came down from the heaven and it consumed the sacrifice. And everyone there knew. Elijah's God was the real God and that Elijah's God really listens when his people talk to him. And we get a good definition of prayer just by looking at that. Prayer, first of all, it's an act of worship. I mean, God's reputation was on the line. Who was gonna get the honor of being named the true God? I mean, that's what we do when we worship something. We honor it as being significant and wonderful and awesome. And that's what we do when we worship God. We're saying, God, God, you are wonderful and significant and awesome. You are the true God. And that's what prayer is. When we go to God and talk to him, we are worshiping him. We are saying, God, you are greater than us. We're also saying we need your help a lot of times. But prayer is an act of worship. Elijah worshiped God. Prayer is also an act of faith. It's praying to a God that we can't see with our eyes. Faith is being confident of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. That's how the Bible defines faith. But it's, it's an act of faith. It's believing that God is good, believing that God is listening, believing that God cares, believing that God is going to love us, even when we can't see those things happening. Elijah didn't see any indication that the fire was gonna come down, but but he knew God was listening. He had faith. Prayer is an act of worship. Prayer is an act of faith. And then prayer is also commanded. It's commanded by God. It's commanded by Jesus. I mean, Jesus said very simply in Matthew chapter six, you should pray. (laughs) You should pray. You should talk to your heavenly father. And think about what it means that Jesus wants us to do this. What it means that God commands us to pray. Philippians chapter four is another place where we are commanded to pray. Where the apostle Paul writes is this, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. He tells you not to be anxious about anything, why? Why are we supposed to not be anxious about anything? And and he says that just before he commands us to pray. So really, what are we supposed to remember before we begin to pray? We're supposed to remember that we're not supposed to be anxious about anything, but the reason why we're not supposed to be anxious about anything is because the Lord is, did you catch it? The Lord is near. The Lord is near. And why is that important to remember? Well, ask Abram. In Genesis chapter 15, Abram was, he was discouraged. He had lived 75 years wanting a child, but so far not having a single one. And then Genesis 15, the Lord comes to him. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision and says, don't be afraid, Abram, I am your shield. I am your very great reward. In other words, I am with you. And then he assured Abraham that he was not only gonna have a son, but he was gonna have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. All of that was gonna happen because the Lord was with him. The Lord was his shield, the Lord was his reward. Ask Hagar why it's important to remember that the Lord is near. Hagar and Ishmael. Hagar, Hagar was a woman who had been exiled from the place where she had been living and she took her young son Ishmael with them, went out into the desert where Hagar was convinced that they were both going to die. She left her son under a bush and she went, off to, she went off to be far away from him because she couldn't stand the sound of him sobbing and weeping and crying as he was dying. And then an angel appeared to Hagar. I said, what's the matter, Hagar? I said, she was crying. Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. And then God provided something for Hagar and Ishmael. God provided the means to live by opening their eyes so that they could see a, a, a spring of water where they could go and get a drink and be refreshed and, and, keep, and keep going. Hagar knew that it was important that the Lord was near to her and the Lord was paying attention. It kept both her and her son living. It gave them both a future. Isaac Isaac learned how important it is that the Lord is near. Isaac went through his own troubles as he grew up, his own own family issues. His life was in danger many times and the Lord appeared to him one night and he said, he said, I'm the same God that Abraham had. Don't be afraid. I'm gonna be with you too. Ask Joshua how important it is to remember that the Lord is near. Joshua was taking the place of Moses as the leader of Israel, the Lord said, Have I not commanded you, Joshua? Be strong, be courageous, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And then we watched the life of Joshua from there, and the Lord was with him. And it was marvelous. We see the importance of the Lord being near us as we look at the life of a man named Gehazi. Gehazi was training under a prophet named Elisha, and one day they were surrounded by armies, and Gehazi said, he said, he said, that's it, we're done, we're dead, <laughs> we're toast. And Elisha prayed that God would open his eyes so that Gehazi would be able to see what the Lord does. And God did, he opened the eyes of Gehazi and saw that they were surrounded not just by a large army but surrounded by even more angels who were there to defend them and take care of them. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elisha said to Gehazi, the Lord was near to them and they were safe. This is what jesus promised as he was leaving his disciples as he was getting ready to ascend back into heaven after accomplishing his work as our savior he said to his disciples surely i am with you always to the very end of the age that jesus himself is with us jesus himself is near us david wrote something really significant about the lord's presence near us in psalm 118 where he said the lord is with me i will not be afraid What can mere mortals do to me, he said. And the word mortals is interesting because you can translate it to also be the word flesh. So you could picture David saying, the Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can my own flesh even do to me? And David knew his heart. It's just like our hearts. We give God so many reasons to just turn his back on us. But David was reminding us that not even our flesh, not even our sinful flesh, is going to compel our Heavenly Father to not be near us. The Lord is near us. It's in his name, Matthew chapter 1. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And what kind of God? A God who crams himself into the, to a womb for nine months to love us, to grow up and forgive us. That God is with us a God who would come out of that womb and be stabbed with nails and hang from a tree to assure us that we will always be in God's family and our Heavenly Father is listening. We pray because the Lord is near. The Lord is always near. The command to pray means that God believes that he is near to us and that he wants to help us and that he's ready to do that. And so how do we do that? How do we pray? I want to take you into a a very famous, well-known section of the Bible. It's the feeding of the 5,000. And Matthew writes about it this way, he says, as evening approached, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And so Jesus replied, well, no, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And so now the disciples are faced with two things. They're faced with a problem. It's like, there are thousands of people here and they don't have any food. And Jesus had just commanded us to give them something to eat. So they had a problem and they also had limited resources. They would go on to say, there's not enough food here to feed, you know, to feed Peter. <laughs> it's like, you expect us to feed thousands and thousands and thousands of people? There's a problem, there were limited resources. And they said, there's no way, there's no way that we can do this. There's no way that, this, that we're gonna be able to get through this in the way that God wants us to. And now keep in mind something about the context of when this happened in Jesus' ministry. By this time in Jesus' ministry, the disciples had already seen Jesus heal leprosy heal a centurion's servant without ever seeing the servant. They had seen Jesus heal Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. They had seen Jesus calm a violent sea. They had seen Jesus heal a paralytic. They had seen Jesus heal a woman who had been sick for 12 years. They had seen Jesus raise a girl from the dead. They had seen Jesus drive out an evil spirit. They had seen Jesus heal a demon-possessed man. They had seen Jesus change water into wine at a wedding. They had seen Jesus heal a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. They had seen him do all these incredible things. And yet when Jesus commanded them to do something that was hard, maybe impossible because it was a problem and there were limited resources, you know what they never did? You know what never occurred to them? It never occurred to them to ask Jesus for help. It never occurred to them to ask Jesus for help. James chapter four says something really significant about prayer and how it works. He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. God sometimes waits for us to ask him for things before he gives. And before he gives things that he could so easily give. And why does he do that? Because he wants us to intentionally remember him He wants us to remember that the Lord is near and to put that remembering into practice by going to him in prayer and involving God in all the aspects of our lives. And sometimes, sometimes he withholds good things from us that he knows we could really use right now because he's waiting for us to engage him in our life. How does prayer work? It works when we ask. But look in the Bible, I mean, prayer isn't, prayer isn't just asking. It's often what people think about with prayer, but prayer is talking to God about any number of different things. And there are many ways to organize your thoughts on, on prayer, your thoughts to God. But let me give you one specific way that's been proven to be pretty useful for many people. Uh, the Bible doesn't command us to pray this way, but it's been useful for a lot of individuals, including myself. And the particular way to pray, to remember all the different things that we want to pray for, I want you to think of the word acts. You know, like the, the the fifth book of the New Testament—Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. <laughs> think of the letters A, C, T, S, and think of each of those letters meaning um, representing a word that helps us remember the different things that uh, that we should pray for. Uh, a for in the book of Acts, you can take it to mean adoration. Uh, another word for adoration is praise. Praise God. So in our prayers, we can we can praise God. Read through the Psalms, and you'll see you'll see the the Psalm writers doing this many, many times. God, you are great. God, you are my rock. God, you are king. God, you are merciful. Just pointing out to God the things about God that we find so wonderful. Adoration. It's a great way to start prayers because then it reminds us what kind of God we are praying to. It's the God who made the universe, the God who can do anything, the God who sacrifices, the God who loves, the God who gives, the God who serves, the God who washes feet. Start your prayers maybe with an adoration statement. Like, God, one thing that is wonderful about you, one thing I adore about you is, and it'll really set the tone for the rest of your prayer because it will help you remember the God that you are praying to. Uh, So after the letter A comes the letter C in the word acts. Adoration, then confession. We also find this throughout the Bible, individuals confessing sins to God. You read through the Psalms too, a confession of God, I'm not worthy. God, I've been sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. My sins are too numerous to count. Honestly admit your sins to God. There's value in doing this, unloading to God the things that weigh down your heart, the things about yourself that weigh down your heart. Let God hear those things, let God hear that you are mindful of those things, and then after you have done that, follow up with the T. A, adoration, C, confession, T, thanksgiving. And what can you thank God for after confessing your sins? The forgiveness that is already yours because of what Jesus already did. You can start there, but then go on. Thank God for other blessings in your life. Thank God for other people in your life. Thank God for the challenges in your life that, that force you to come closer to God and force you to lean on him. Thank God, again and again and again. Do it throughout the day. <laughs> Acts, A, adoration, C, confession, T, thanksgiving, and then S, supplication, which is maybe not a word that we use very often, but it's it's a synonym for ask. And so a supplication is a request. And this is the part of the prayers where you ask God to do things for yourself, to do things for others, and remember just, Sometimes God does not act because we do not first ask. And so ask, and he invites you to ask again and again and again and again. You can ask about anything. If it's important to you, it's important to your Heavenly Father. If it's important to the people around you, it's important to your Heavenly Father. And remember that God can do anything. Nothing is impossible for him. And so you adore and you confess and you thank and you... (laughs) and you offer supplications, you ask, and how will God answer your prayers? The Bible has many examples of different ways that God answers your prayers, but we can summarize it with three quick points. God will sometimes say yes to your prayer. He will sometimes answer just the way you ask him, just like Elijah on Mount Carmel. He asked for fire and God sent fire. God said yes. God might also say wait. He might ask you to wait. Abraham was 75 years old when God promised him That he would have a son, the son for which he had been praying. It was another 25 years before Abraham would see that son, before that son would be born. He made him wait for good reasons. God always knows when the timing is best. He made him wait, just like sometimes he makes us wait. And so don't give up praying. Pray persistently, pray regularly, over and over again and again. And then the third way so God might say yes, he might say wait, and then he might. Say, I have something better in mind for you. (laughs) You might take that as God saying no. But God never really says no. And how do we know that God never really says no to your prayers? I want you to go to Luke 22. It talks about Jesus. shows us Jesus praying the night that he was betrayed, the night before he would die us to some of his disciples with him and Luke tells us that Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw from them. He knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And so Jesus prayed for two things and God could not say yes to both of them. He prayed that this cup be taken from him, which was another way of saying, God, I don't want to go through with the suffering that's, that's going to take place here. The whip, the nails, the cross, the thorns, the death take this cup from me. The other thing he prayed for was that God's will be done. And what was God's will? To forgive us. To save us. And that can only have that could only happen by the whip and the nails and the thorns and the cross. So he couldn't say yes to both those things. He really did have to say no to one of them. And so he said no to taking that cup away from his perfect son so that you and I would always be able to walk through life knowing that because he said no to him, he will always say yes to loving us and treating us as members of his own family and members of his eternal kingdom. That's how we know God will never really say no to your prayers, not in the sense that he just shuts you down or there just isn't listening. He always says yes to loving you in the way that he knows is best. And so in that sense, if there's something that you pray for and he doesn't give you exactly what you're praying for, it means that he has something better in mind, something that will do more good, something that is more needed, more useful, more necessary. So keep praying. Pray to your heavenly father. He's always loving you. He's always listening.